Thanks, Dave, very much. Friends, hello. It's good to see you. Uh, Baden Stace is my name if I haven't met you, and uh, I trust uh, that Christmas has been a time of uh, blessing for you and a time of great refreshment. Uh, and uh, let me take this opportunity to wish you a very happy new year. Um, the staff team at St. Stephen's uh, really uh, are looking forward to a new year of ministry with you, a new year of serving the Lord Jesus with you, and uh, a new year of growing together and uh, fulfilling our mission to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. It'll be a great help to you if you have a Bible open there at 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, that'll help you as we work through that tonight. Uh, so please uh, take a Bible or open your Bible app or uh, the sheet that you received as you uh, came in tonight. Uh, and um, uh, just uh, join me in prayer as we ask for God's help tonight. Let's pray. Our great uh, and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the prospect of a new year, a new year of your patience with us and your patience with the world. Um, we eagerly await the return of our Lord Jesus. And so we recognise that another year in the life of this world is borrowed time in a sense. And so, Lord, we pray that you would focus our minds uh, tonight, that you would help us to understand what it means uh, in these last days to be people who follow Jesus and who honour Jesus and live in a way that you would have us live. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, well, as uh, John said in January, uh, we are going to be working through a teaching series uh, entitled Walking with the King. We're working through Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapters 17 through to 28. Uh, and we're going to be uh, walking with the Lord Jesus as he journeys through to Jerusalem, uh, through to the events of the cross and the resurrection. It's an incredible sweep of scripture, and I pray that you'll be greatly blessed by it. But uh, tonight, I want to think with you a little bit about the coming year and how we are going to approach the coming year as God's people. Uh, because as we stand on the cusp of a new year, our minds will naturally race to the year ahead. And for each of us, a range of new things will lie in store in the coming year. Uh, some new joys. There'll be a whole range of new achievements. There'll be a whole range of new uh, experiences. And yet the year ahead will also bring its share of challenges and difficulties for many of us. And uh, because of that, it's important that each of us approach the new year armed with the right kind of mindset about who we are in, in Christ, who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what it means to follow him. Uh, what is the essence of following Jesus Christ in the year 2024? And how are we going to persevere in following Jesus Christ come what may in the year 2024? And to help us think clearly about these uh, big questions, uh, we're going to dive into this chapter of 1 Peter today, uh, just for today. It's a terrific chapter, uh, jammed full of some incredible stuff. And the, uh, Peter, of course, is well qualified to help us with these questions. He describes himself, you'll notice there in verse 1 of this letter, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter had ringside seats, you see, to the entirety of Jesus' earthly ministry. He was an eyewitness to Jesus' glorification in those great events in the middle of Jesus' ministry, the transfiguration on the mountainside. He saw Jesus eclipsed in heavenly glory. Uh, he was an eyewitness to the suffering of Jesus on the cross. 
He was an eyewitness to the death of Jesus, to the resurrection of Jesus, and to the ascension of Jesus in glory. He had heard Jesus preach and teach on many occasions, and he also knew what it was to fail the Lord Jesus and to be graciously restored by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in terms of understanding the essence of uh, what it means to be a forgiven person and to have new life in Jesus Christ, you might say the Apostle Peter was something of an expert. And uh, Peter, of course, is writing to a group of Christians who are under the pump. Uh, following Jesus was tough in their day, it was tough going, and uh, they were in danger of allowing the brilliance of their salvation to grow dim in their minds and their hearts and their affections. And so Peter writes to encourage them. And for that reason, it's a great section of Scripture for us as we think through who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it will mean to follow Jesus wholeheartedly in the year 2024. And uh, there are five things I want to highlight uh, this evening uh, about what Peter says about our new life and our hope in Jesus Christ. There are many more things we could highlight in this chapter, but I want to highlight five. Uh, We are chosen strangers. We are born again. We are steadfast in trial. We are incredibly privileged and we are to be radically changed. Chosen strangers, born again, steadfast in trial, incredibly privileged and we are to be radically changed. Uh, Firstly, we are chosen strangers. Pick it up there at uh, chapter 1 verse 1 of this wonderful letter of the Apostle Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, he writes, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance." So uh, notice again Peter's qualifications to write as he does. He is an apostle. And uh, notice Peter is writing to Christians who are spread throughout a region which corresponds roughly to uh, modern-day Turkey today. And uh, what's interesting in this opening verse, however, is that he describes these believers, these early believers in Jesus Christ, as literally scattered strangers. It's quite a strange term to our ears. Um, scattered strangers. In the original Greek New Testament, it reads literally, he addresses them as scattered sojourners, scattered travellers, scattered refugees in a strange place. Uh, It sounds a little like they were people who didn't quite fit in, who were unaccepted by society, who were perhaps square pegs in a round hole. That is Peter's description of these early believers. If they were to arrive at the customs gate at their local international airport, though they might belong physically to that country, spiritually uh, they would need to walk through the gate that said foreign arrivals. Uh, They are travellers scattered in a strange place. And uh, sometimes uh, it can feel like this as Christians, can't it? We have all known times uh, in our own lives, perhaps in a conversation, a conversation with friends or family who perhaps don't yet follow the Lord Jesus Christ and the conversation might take a turn uh, toward uh, criticism or vulgarity or gossip or slander and as a Christian we don't or at least we shouldn't feel at home in such conversations. We might feel out of place. 
We might feel that it's jarring. Perhaps some of us know what it's like to be the only Christian in our family. Uh, Brothers and sisters or parents or even children whom we love and we know they love us, but we also know they think that we're a little strange because we take Jesus so seriously. Following Jesus can sometimes make us feel estranged in this present world, yet God wants us to know whilst we may feel estranged in this present world, in this present age, we actually bear a status of great worth and great significance. Notice at the start of verse 1, Peter says, whilst we are scattered strangers, he addresses God's people, these Christians in this part of Turkey, as God's elect, those who are chosen. In other words, uh, though the world may not esteem us, uh, the God of all the universe who flung stars into space and who sustains our lives and gives us life and breath at this very moment, uh, the God of all the universe does esteem us. We have been chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And when you see the Christian life like that, you see that it is actually a very lofty identity indeed. The God of all the universe has known you and marked you out before time began by grace, not because of anything you've done, not because of your good works. Uh, He's done that to be his very own. He has sanctified us. He has removed from us. Uh, all of our past impurities and failures. He has sprinkled us with the blood of Christ who shed his blood for us on the cross. He has made us fit for obedience to Jesus Christ. The Christian identity is a very, very lofty one indeed. Who do we think we are? Whatever else the world might throw at you in 2024, uh, we must know as Christians, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we are called by grace We are chosen by God's grace. Uh, We are sanctified and precious to him. We are chosen. Secondly, I want you to see we are also born again into a living hope. Look there at verses 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, Now, uh, the term born again uh, is a title that has worked its way into common language in our day, and uh, it's a term that's become familiar to many people, even abused and certainly misunderstood in today's culture. But don't let the familiarity of the phrase rob you of how wonderful it is and how incredible it is that as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter is saying we have been born into an entirely new life. Just as a newborn baby goes from a confined reality into a new, bright, big world, that's the kind of change that happens when we become uh, followers of Jesus. Spiritually, we have burst into a new dimension of life, a massively bright new dimension of life. Whatever the contours of our former life were, they are gone. Uh, We have been given an entirely fresh start. Uh, Notice as well 
that uh, Peter says we have been born again into a living hope. And I want you to notice that there's a little bit of a tension there. There's a paradox. How can we be born into a living hope? What is being said there? Well, Peter is helping us to come to terms with one of the great tensions of the Christian life. He is saying that as real as the change in us is, we are truly born again, we are spiritually brand new, there is still a large part of our salvation that is still future-oriented. It is kept in heaven for us, uh, he says there in verse 4. Uh, think about that for a moment. Uh, now, I don't know how, how you felt when you got out of bed this morning. Uh, some of us may have bounded out of bed, exhilarated, refreshed, brimming with energy. Is that your experience? Um, uh, but I suspect many of us woke, maybe with a sore leg, uh, a sore back, a, a chesty cough and other ailments, uh, or perhaps it's just me. Uh, and that is because as real as our salvation is now spiritually, the full possession of our salvation still lies in the future. Undoubtedly, it is a sure, it is a certain, it is a robust and living hope because Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has conquered the grave and he dwells in us by the power of his spirit. But we are described here as being born into a living hope because we still don't possess the entirety of our salvation yet. Revelation, the very last book in the Bible, speaks a lot about this. It speaks of God's promise to bring about a, an entirely new order of existence in the age to come. In the meantime, uh, God shields us by his fatherly power and by his fatherly care, he says there in verse 5, until the day we take full possession of that hope. Uh, the celebrated poem, uh, poet uh, William Blake, uh, an English poet, is buried in London's uh, famous Bunhill Cemetery. Uh, close by are the graves of other great ones. John Bunyan, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Susanna Wesley, wife of John Wesley. Uh, John Owen, another great reformer. And uh, Daniel Defoe. And a friend who was present when William Blake died wrote that he died in a most glorious manner. Uh, Blake said... Uh, and I quote, that he was going to that country he had all his life wished to see and he expressed himself happy, hoping for salvation through Jesus Christ. And then just before he died, his countenance became radiant, his eyes brightened and he burst out in song, uh, absolutely exhilarated that he would soon possess the glories of his eternal home. He had, you might say, a living hope. Uh, my own relatives... Uh, hoped boldly for the glories of the age to come. My great-grandmother uh, spent the majority of her adult life for 63 years before her death at the age of 92, uh, shuffling via a walking frame uh, with crippling, debilitating arthritis. And she used to dream of leaping and running in the new creation. Uh, my own grandfather uh, lost two wives to sickness and a son to tragedy before he himself passed away. He used to whistle Christian hymns uh, and was a man of great Christian joy and great Christian faith. Uh, as believers, their hope was fresh. They had a living hope. They possessed new birth. They were spiritually new into a living hope. They knew that the full possession of salvation was still a future reality. And so, dear friends, I want to say to you tonight, whatever 2024 brings... 
you need to know that you have been born anew into a living hope because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and he has secured a sure and certain salvation for us. Who do we think we are? We are chosen. We are born again into a living hope. Thirdly, we are steadfast in trial. Look there at verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, Peter says, though now for a little while uh, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold and which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, um, there, are, there are so many things I would love to pick up on there. Uh, I would love to pick up, for example, in verse 6, of how knowing Jesus uh, gives us true perspective in life. Peter uses that little phrase, now for a little while. That's how he describes the entirety of our earthly existence. Now for a little while. Uh, that is life now. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul uh, says something similar and he says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's the same idea. Uh, knowing Jesus gives us true perspective in life. We could also notice the love that Christians naturally have for their Lord. Uh, notice there in verse 8, he says, Even though you do not see Jesus, you love him. And that's a great litmus test for true spiritual health. If, uh, if I was to speak uh, with you uh, as you walked out the door tonight or if someone was to ask you at the, uh, at the New Year's Eve party uh, you're headed off to tonight, are you a person who loves Jesus Christ? Uh, I trust you would be able to say, yes, Jesus fills my heart with inexpressible joy. That is the natural disposition of the Christian, the person who loves Jesus. Uh, we love our Lord. But what I want to pick up on these, on these, in these verses is two things in particular. Uh, the presence of trials in the Christian life, uh, in verse 6. And uh, secondly, the purpose of these trials, in verse 7, uh, in the Christian life. Uh, Peter seems to be saying here, not only that we will experience trouble in this life, but more than that, he also wants us to be clear on their purpose. And their purpose, can you see, is to refine us and to temper us and to remove from us the dross and the impurities of this world, as it were, to make us more fit for the age to come. Verse 7, these trials have come, Peter says, so that your very precious faith will be refined. Uh, you know, I'm told that a simple bar of iron ore pulled from the earth might be worth $5. That same bar, when made into a horseshoe, might be worth $10.50. If the owner decided to make that bar into needles for sewing, it could be worth as much as $3,000. And if it's turned into springs for watches, its value can jump as high as $250,000. What makes the difference to the value of that same bar of iron ore? The difference is made by the amount of heat applied in the process of refinement. And uh, Peter is saying the same is true in the Christian life. I want you to think of the times when you have 
perhaps especially grown in the Christian life. Just think of those times, those times when you've come out the other side and you thought that was a great time of growth. And I would think, and I would want to suggest to you, as you reflect on those times, you will find that the times of greatest growth for you as a Christian, not always, but very often the case, have been those times when you have persevered through difficulty. In difficulty, we are forced to rely not on ourselves but on God. In times of difficulty, we are stripped of our own energies and we are forced to trust the living God. Malcolm Muggeridge, an English writer who came to know the Lord Jesus uh, late in his life, he understood this. And uh, he wrote this about the value of trials in the Christian life. He said, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have ever learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness, whether pursued or attained. In other words, if it ever were possible to eliminate affliction from our earthly existence, the result would not be to make life more enjoyable, but it would make it too trivial to endure. He understood the purpose of sufferings and trials and difficulties. Suffering refines us and shapes us for heavenly glory. And so Peter wants to say that as you set your course for 2024, uh, as we set our course uh, for 2024, he wants to say when, not if, but when uh, trials and difficulties and sufferings come, we must not think at that moment that God has abandoned us. No, it is through those very trials and experiences that God is making us stronger, fitter, holier, more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do we think we are? We are chosen. We are born again into a living hope. We are those who are steadfast in trial. Fourthly, we are incredibly privileged. Uh, Peter picks up this thought in verse 10 when he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Uh, now I have to say to you that this is a, this is a fascinating, this is a spectacular paragraph of the scriptures. It starts with a description of the Old Testament prophets as people who spoke about the glorious salvation that God had promised. And all through the Old Testament, they spoke of Jesus, they prophesied of Jesus, and for hundreds of years before Jesus came, they spoke and prophesied of the coming Messiah. Yet even though they spoke about it, Peter is saying here that they didn't fully grasp it. They couldn't fully work out when and by whom this salvation was going to come to pass. And the section ends by saying even angels longed to fully grasp all that the prophets had spoken about. The point uh, being made in the middle of the paragraph is that it was all serving us. It was all serving God's people today. In other words, all the things spoken of in the Old Testament, 
all the predictions about the coming Christ, all the descriptions of the coming suffering servant, all the prophetic words about the coming new age, all the predictions about a time when God would pour out his spirit on all people. Uh, It was all spoken in a very real sense for you and for me and for God's people at the time of the writing of this letter. I want you to see, therefore, how breathtakingly privileged we are to stand at this moment in salvation history and to be able to look at the entire sweep of the plans and purposes of God and to be able to say, we understand it all. To us has been given a fullness of revelation about God's plans uh, that is absolutely staggering and it is an absolutely staggering privilege. We here today, sitting with our Bibles open, we are better placed to understand the purposes of God than ever Abraham was, than ever Moses or Joshua or even King David was. We know things that even the angels in heaven wished they had known. Uh, It is a striking reminder how important it is not to take our salvation for granted. It is a striking reminder how important it is never to be flippant or haphazard or presumptuous about our Christian faith. Uh, The prophets of the Old Testament and all the angelic host would love to have grasped what you and I grasp when we show up to Bible study or when we show up to church on a Sunday and open our Bibles and hear of the Lord Jesus Christ when we open our mouths and sing songs about the Messiah who has fulfilled all of the saving plans of God. It is a spectacular privilege to stand at this moment in salvation history. And uh, Peter is saying to us, we are never to forget how privileged we are to stand at this moment in salvation history. May it shape our goals, may it shape our priorities and affections throughout 2024. Who do we think we are? We are chosen. We are born again. We are steadfast in trial. We are incredibly privileged. And uh, finally, as we close, we must realise that such information is never given to God's people to make us feel affirmed, but not changed. So as we close, Peter says such knowledge ought to bring radical change. Look there at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Uh, Can you see the logic there? Uh, Peter is saying, If this is who you are in Christ, then... Uh, be whom you have become in Christ. Uh, There's a now famous incident involving Queen Victoria of England, uh, who is now the second longest reigning British monarch behind her great-granddaughter Elizabeth. Uh, And for 63 years she ruled what was then a very powerful British empire. And one of the reasons she reigned for so long was because she assumed power at the age of 18. And after the death of her father and grandfather, when she was only one, Uh, She was raised by her mother and her royal minders, uh, destined to assume the throne at 18. However, what they decided was not to tell Victoria that she would be queen uh, at first. They kept it a secret from her until she was 11 years old. And even then, they didn't give it to her straight. 
they let her discover it for herself in an English history lesson. And the story goes that this particular day she was working her way through an English history textbook uh, with her tutor. And uh, Victoria discovered a page in that textbook that had previously been removed and uh, which they had put back into the book for this particular day. It was a page that listed the line of succession to the throne of England and according to her biography, Victoria noticed with surprise uh, that she'd never seen this page before and with even greater surprise, she noticed that she was the next in line to the throne. Her tutor agreed and proceeded to point out the obvious that Victoria would one day be crowned Queen of the entire British Empire as she indeed already was, to which Victoria reportedly replied, well then, I must be noble and I must be good. I need to be noble and I need to be good. Realising her privileged identity, she knew she must become who she was born to be. Now every analogy breaks down and it's not an exact parallel to us. Work with me, it's New Year's Eve. Um, But uh, that captures in a sense something of 1 Peter chapter 1. Who do we think we are? We are chosen. Chosen by grace. We are born again into a living hope. We are those who uh, must be steadfast in trial. We are incredibly privileged and we are to be radically changed. So, uh, dear friends, whatever the coming year holds for each of us, the Apostle Peter urges us in all of our thinking and in all of our behaviour to become who we have been made to be by the grace of God. Verse 13 We are with minds that are alert and fully sober to set our hope on the grace given when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. As obedient children, we are not to conform to the evil desires we had when we lived in ignorance, but just as he who called us is holy, so be holy in all we do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Uh, On behalf of the staff and... um, uh, Well, on behalf of the staff at, uh, at St. Stephen's, I want to... I want to wish you a happy new year and I hope and I pray that 2024 is is going to be a year of great blessing for you, a year of great achievement, a year of great things, new things, wonderful things Uh, and yet I trust uh, you will uh, will find in 2024 that 2024 is a year of great growth for you as a Christian as you come to understand more of who you are in Christ and you walk in that uh, reality and that that identity that is yours as the gift of God. Uh, So, Happy New Year. It's wonderful that you can join us tonight. Let's pray. Our our great God and our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that by grace we have been born again into a living hope. Uh, And and yet we recognise that the fullness of our salvation is still a future reality. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to grasp that tension tonight. Uh, Help us to know that there are many things we won't fully understand in this age, and yet all will be uh, made known and revealed in the age to come. And help us to walk in uh, a fullness of faith uh, today uh, and in the coming year. Uh, We pray, Lord God, that we would grasp more of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the coming year and that we would grow more in his likeness. We pray in his name. Amen.